0: Hey, and welcome back to the Coffee Trading Academy podcast with your host and friend, Chief Analyst, Ryan Delaney. We have with us today a special guest, a gentleman who is a Colombian coffee expert, a coffee executive trained by the biggest companies in coffee and a successful serial coffee trading entrepreneur. This trading expert is the founder and CEO of an independent coffee exporter in Colombia with over 20 years in the business. He has worked for coffee trading giants Ecom, Louis Dreyfus, and Noble, and was mentored by some of the great names in coffee like Hank Dunlop of Ecom and Daniel Jacquard of Dreyfus. His current business, Integra Trading, is the third successful coffee exporting company that he has founded in Colombia, and today he's going to provide us with answers to the burning questions of the present Colombian coffee market and the future of Arabica Futures. In this interview, we cover topics including his take on the disastrous weather problems Colombia has faced over the last two years, his expectations for Colombian crop production, and his unique insight into what it takes to be successful in coffee trading. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Mr. Manuel Rueda. Thank you so much, uh, Manuel, for uh, agreeing to chat with us today. It's always a pleasure to to talk to you. Um, we chat a lot uh, anyway, but um, it's nice to, mm-hmm. to put it on record and and introduce uh, some of my friends and clients to you who, who haven't already met you. Um, I know you've been in the business for a while. A, a good friend of mine introduced us, uh, uh, Sam, right. our, our mutual friend. Um, but uh, for those who don't know you, uh, can you give us a little background on yourself? Can you tell us how you got into the coffee market and uh, what your role is now uh, in Colombia and at Integra? Okay. First of all, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. I've seen uh, some of,
1: of uh, your interviews and you have had uh, very, very interesting people here. So it's a, it's an honor to be here with you. Thank you. Uh, Well, basically, I've been in the business for about 22 years. Uh, I started in 2000, uh, initially working with Ecom. In that transition, when Ecom bought a coffee operation from Carhill, uh, I started by that time. uh, Worked for Ecom for about uh, six years, Uh, one year in New York. After Ecom, I went to work with uh, Dreyfus.
0: Oh, interesting! Uh, I, I didn't started, realize you worked at Ecom. So, were you at yeah, uh, I, you were at Atlantic USA and in states? I spent uh, almost basically a year working uh, with Hank Dunlop, being yeah. part of his
1: team. As one of those famous traders for our industry.
0: Yeah, we share so, we share a boss then. I I also worked
1: yeah, for Hank Dunlop. Yeah. yeah, so I spent basically a year working with him. Then I came back to Colombia. And after a year back to Colombia, I got a proposal from Dreyfus for going to Wilton. So, because one of my colleagues, one more guy very famous in our industry, Daniel Jacar, was going back to Brazil. Mm. So they offered me to go to Wilton, uh, spending Wilton uh, one more year. And by that time, Dreyfus didn't have an operation here in Colombia. And basically, hmm. they asked me if I wanted to stay in New York or if I had an intention to go back to Colombia to start their operation. And uh, I can clarify, we're
0: talking about uh, Wilton, Connecticut here, right? This is where all Wilson, the hedge funds were. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, like I, beautiful Connecticut. You wanted to go back to Colombia,
1: huh? <laughs> actually, by that time I was a, I was a kid. I. I probably was like a 28, 29. So for a young guy, it's a very boring place. I know. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, when you have family, it's a very beautiful place to be, definitely. So I consider myself uh, a very proud Colombian. So I decided to go back to Colombia, took the challenge to start their operation, basically, basically from scratch here in Colombia. Wow. And uh, and uh, we did it. Actually, after a couple of years, we were part already of the top five exporters here in Colombia. Mm. And uh, basically, after three, four years working for Dreyfus Colombia, I got an offer from one of uh, one more of those famous guys in the coffee business, David Burns, to be part of his team and try to do something similar to open up uh, an operation here in Colombia from scratch. And we did it. I worked with uh, Dave and his team for about four or five years. Wow. And um, I left Noble, by that time it was Noble, uh, about uh, 2015. Um, And after a couple of months looking for opportunities in the industry. Uh, This is a very small industry where sometimes getting the right position is not that easy. So in 2015, I decided to start my own company. Basically, what I thought by that time is, well, if I did it twice, one for Dreyfus, one for Noble, probably probably, and just probably, I can do it the third time for my for my own company. That's right. So I, I started in 2015, uh, Integra. Integra, let's say, we are considered one of those independent, medium-sized coffee exporters out of Colombia. Mm-hmm. And basically, that's our role. Uh, we have a big presence in one of those uh, important regions here in Colombia, Antioquia, And basically, we try to attend the internal market selling to some of uh, the multinational companies internally and selling to some other customers and roasters abroad Colombia. So basically, that's what we do. Um, It's it's basically being in the middle in some regions. And in my point of view, considering the relationship with the multinational what I say is that we uh, we come, we fill out some of the activities that the big multinationals cannot do in some regions. Right. So basically, that's what we do. We offer coffees from some regions where they don't have presence. Um, I don't call them competitors. I call them more like customers. Mm. Uh, because uh, being honest, it's really hard uh, to compete with the big guys. They are very professional guys. Sure. Uh, they know all they need to know about the business so basically what i think or what i say about our relationship with the bigger multinationals is that we uh fill out we complement uh, some of their activities so in general that's what we do uh and that's what integra does.
0: wow so i think you're what we would call a serial entrepreneur you uh <laughs> yeah let's
1: say uh, yeah let's say yes uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's you, a, you? That
1: uh, that has been my career. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the last time, obviously, it's, uh, when you have the support and the backing of a big multinational, it's mm. easier. Obviously, when you are starting your own business, it's a little bit mm. more, uh, it's, uh, it's tougher. But uh, yeah. let's say I've been an entrepreneur uh, starting companies from scratch. Uh, and this is the third time I'm doing this
0: yeah and I think um, you know we're going to talk about the the traits of a a trader later but I guess uh, one of the things you probably learned is you you were comfortable with risk or at least you you knew how to manage that so that probably uh, uh, gave you some of the (laughs) the the character you needed to 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 take that that's
1: that's something you learned Uh, I I Something I really appreciate about my career is that I have had had the, the opportunity to work with different companies and the approach of each one of these companies to the business uh, probably is different. Uh, right. Even though we're talking about the same commodity, the same business, the approach of each one of these companies they have to the business is different. So you learn a lot. I mean, I uh, I have had a lot of mentors, a lot of people where they basically are very good uh, sharing their information and their Mm. experience. And definitely your career uh, is based on those experiences you can get from those guys with uh, more experience than you. Um, Absolutely.
0: And I think, you know, and it's interesting how you mentioned the sort of the character of the different companies that you worked for. Um, I might be mischaracterizing these so you you can feel free to correct me but uh, so like I think Ecom is probably has more of a decentralized very entrepreneurial aspect and my understanding of Dreyfus is they have a a more centralized sort of big picture strategy. Um, in, with their operations. Right. And then Noble, I don't know as much, although I also have uh, some mentors who worked at, at, at Noble as well. But um...
1: Noble, Noble was very similar to Dreyfus in the sense that uh, most of the head traders uh, in Noble by that time, basically all of them were coming from from Dreyfus. Dave and mm-hmm. the big boss by that time was their nepoleon, one of those famous guys as well in the coffee business. So all of them, they were coming from Dreyfus. And in that sense, the approach uh, that Noble had by that time was very similar to what Dreyfus is uh, today.
0: Right. Yeah. And I guess you said uh, to to the point about uh, the character of companies, I guess they sort of evolved some of their thinking from their time uh, at Dreyfus. and Definitely. And so you got kind of a mix of all of them, I guess. You 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 learned some of the the, the pros and cons of each of those, and and probably yeah, have...
1: actually actually that's uh, what I try to do here in in in, in Integra. It's a uh, take a little bit of each one mm. and try to apply those concepts to my business. So I try to run the company very similar to a multinational company in terms of controls contracts, uh, position, uh, everything, having uh, uh, close control of every single thing. Uh, This is a business where you need to have control on on every single thing uh, because, uh, I mean, if you lose control, that's the point where probably the problems may start.
0: Right. I mean, especially when you're dealing with leverage, right, Uh, and financial products. If uh, one small problem can kind of balloon into a, a very it's, big problem.
1: Exa- exactly.
0: Now, um, you, one of the things that's, uh, well, actually, before I get onto the Colombian coffee market itself, I mm-hmm. just wanted to briefly mention the name Integra. What is that, what does that mean?
1: Actually, after, after it was a brainstorming between my wife and myself,
2: yeah.
1: uh, and actually, this name is coming from her. And basically, uh, what she had in mind is uh, basically Integra can be used as a way to integrate uh, the business between farmers and uh, and the traders, and uh, it, it had the, the capacity to be used as a marketing tool. Oh, so that was uh, that, that's why uh, we decided to use Integra as a uh, part of our name
0: ok, so it's kind of the connection uh, exactly. between the, the 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 roasters and the farmers okay,
1: farmers right ah, yeah.
0: oh, very cool. so you've you've started three businesses, three successful businesses in Colombia. You've been trading there a while. Um I think uh, our our friend Hank also got his start in Colombia. Um, so you have got a lot of different exposure, um, a lot of, um, and you're Colombian, of course, by birth, and um, that's your, mm-hmm. your business now. So what is the Colombian coffee market like? Um, I know that's a, a huge question, but let's say generally, if you're um, um, what is the, what's the lay of the land? What do we need to know as, let's say, as an amateur trader? What do we need to know about as the Colombian coffee market? And maybe as a, a roaster or an importer, what do we need to know about the Colombian coffee market?
1: Well, one of the good things about Colombia and the, and the coffee business, uh, probably Colombia is one of those countries where you can get always fresh coffee. Uh, basically, it can be... It's slightly different compared to other to other countries, hmm. where basically you have one crop and basically you have uh, three four busy months and uh, basically the rest of the year basically you don't have coffee flowing to your warehouses. Right. Something you should know about Colombia. Colombia it's, uh, it's it's well known for having always fresh coffee. Basically, as you may know, co- uh, Colombia usually we don't carry big inventories as a country basically mm. every single bean colombia is harvesting at the same time it's selling mm. so that's something good for colombia and uh, basically they that it's part uh, basically of the colombian uh, coffee federation that has invested a lot of money for the last 50 60 60 years in marketing, Juan Valdez. So Colombia has a good reputation, is well known about the quality. And that's one of the good things about Colombia is that um, Colombia always have, has uh, fresh coffee. Always uh, you can get uh, offers from some reliable exporters. Something I'd say for Colombia, it's uh, most of the exporters, were in general you have reliable exporters, uh, Right. And that, just to, that, that.
0: to clarify, um, you mentioned year round fresh coffee. Um, mm-hmm. So when you talk about and you mentioned, you know, a lot of other origins only have three or four months of a harvest or whatever. So I guess um, this kind of segues a little bit and I don't mean to cut you off. We'll go back to what you were saying uh, into this idea of the mitaka. Right. Um, uh-huh. So I guess the reason Colombia has. Can you go into a little bit the reason why Colombia has year round fresh coffee?
1: Basically, it's a, Colombia is a, it's a tropical country, just in the middle of a uh, equ- equatorial line. So mm. we have the north and we have, we have the south Colombia. And basically, uh, the north has the, the main crop between October to January, February, and the south, uh, where it's basically close to Peru, we have the main crop in the south from May, April, April May to June, July. So basically you have coffee the entire year. Uh, the north of the country has, uh, as I said, uh, the main crop during the October, December, and the south of the country has their main crop during the first half of the year. So that's why Colombia has fresh coffee the entire year. Um different from probably Peru, where basically Peru, they have their main crop from May, April, May to July, uh, or different to Honduras, or basically they have their crop from October to, or November to January. So Colombia has two crops and that's the reason because basically we're in the middle of the equatorial line and Mm. we have uh, two different regions where we can produce coffee
0: yeah that's um that's very cool um i uh, i know when i was first learning about coffee it was interesting to learn about the you know how you know the the timing of the crop cycle is dependent on which side of the equator you're on so the northern hemisphere crops have the october crops the southern hemisphere Mm -hmm. crops have the uh you know the the june crops the may crops um and so i guess colombia as a country like uganda or indonesia that straddles the equator you have both sides and of mm-hmm. course, um, the mid crop of Colombia is sort of famous because it's known as the mitaka, right? Everyone knows right. the Spanish name. And it, my understanding is that it used to be that the main crop was the big crop and the mitaka was the small crop. Um, but that's changed, right? Isn't
1: that that, had, uh, that has changed during the last, basically, I'd say 10 years or more. Mm. But when I started, uh, I recall probably the main crop was about. 60 to 70% of the total production and the mm. Nitaka crop was about 30 to 40%. Nowadays, i said say it's basically half and a half, uh, right. roughly. It's, uh, during the mitaka crop, we produce half of our production. And during the main crop, uh, we are producing half of our production. Uh, one of the reasons is that the plantations are moving from the north to the south, we have a, a, a new, uh, the largest producing department state is now Willa, which is in the south, which is the, the, the new baby for the Colombian production.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that kind of thing basically had, had helped to, to change or to switch the, the, the crop between the Mitaka to the main crop. So, and now, mm-hmm. now or today, we produce basically half and a
0: half. Right. And um, and you mentioned the Juan Valdez marketing campaign and how, I guess, that started in the 50s and 60s with the FNC and how successful that was. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's funny. I, I grew up in the 80s and I, I don't mm-hmm. really remember the Juan Valdez marketing campaign. Um, and, uh, but... I think that the reputation for Colombia as having excellent coffee is is very authentic, right? It's not like it's not like it's just oh, is there's really good marketing. I always tell people if they ask me, oh, what's a good coffee to buy? I say, and mm-hmm. this is what I do personally, is I buy commercial Colombian coffee. Uh, that's what I like is is a cheap hundred percent Colombian blend in the supermarket. And that mm-hmm. is is pretty much the, the perfect kind of, of coffee for me. That's
1: that's true. In general, we ship our Colombia. In general, we ship a very good coffee. Uh, my view is that we here internally are more demanding in terms of uh, in terms of quality. Uh, mm. We basically, when we are copying, we are very demanding. When we are grading defects, we are very demanding. We have quality controls at the port when we are exporting, we have the F and C checking Mm. our quality when we are exporting on all those things basically contribute for having a good product. And that's why Roasters, they have a 100% own brands. I mean, uh, some of their brands that they have are still 100% Colombia. Because Colombia is one of those countries where you can get uh, in general good quality.
0: Yeah. It's I mean, I think before even before single origins were cool. Um mm-hmm. you know, even in the the, the 70s and eighties, you could get hundred percent Colombian brand of coffee, right? Um exactly. and it's uh, I guess we have to you know, a lot of it is we have to thank the FNC for that, for those strict export controls, mm-hmm. which I kind of feel bad for the Colombians because mm-hmm you give away all of your good coffee. And then uh, <laughs> if you try to, ironically, I, I was in a hotel in Colombia uh, you know, a few years ago and I was like, I thought the coffee was going to be so good. <laughs> and it was terrible. It was just terrible. It is it, not.
1: That's a, that's a problem for, for us Colombians here in the interior. Uh, it's not that easy to get a good cup of coffee. I mean, even in those fancy hotels and restaurants, sometimes uh, it's, uh, it's not easy to get good coffee but it, I mean the culture is changing right uh, some of this uh, those are hotels or restaurants they have realized that people is demanding uh, coffee or very coffee so it's changing uh, yes. but uh, it's not that easy to be honest to get a good cup of coffee mm. uh, I mean that's that's the tradition that that's the market for the Colombian internal market. Mm. Um, and what a, a good a, a good example is, for instance, my mom. It took me like ten years to <laughs> convince her to switch from a Colombian brand to uh, to something different. So, and all yeah. the time she was like, oh, "I don't like these. Oh, I prefer my coffee tasting like a whatever." <laughs> uh, and it took me like ten years to convince her to to start drinking a good coffee. But uh, yeah. that's the reality.
0: Yeah, um, and but I, I have heard, like you said, that, that that's changing. That maybe you're getting there's a, a bit more of um, maybe you got some some young hipsters coming in and you know wanting to drink the the fancy coffee and stuff. So um, hopefully uh, next time I visit Colombia, uh, you can show me all of the the best places to get a cup of coffee. <laughs> um, that's for sure. Now uh, I think I did want to touch on. You know some of the well. We talked about production. We talked about harvesting. Um, can you give us before I go into some of the the, the thoughts on on trading, especially? Can you just kind of give me a little overview of the regions of Colombia? You know, I hear you know uh, names like Huila and you know Antioquia mm-hmm. and um, all of these and and terms like the coffee axis. Um, what should we know about the production area of Colombia?
1: Well, Colombia basically, in Colombia, we produce coffee from south to north. We have uh, 16 uh, producing departments or states, basically, mm. from the south border to Ecuador to the north, uh, basically, up to Cartagena, Santa Marta. Mm. So we have different regions. Um, with different cup profiles. The most famous regions today probably can be Willa. Willa is the largest producing department. Uh, Willa can be producing about 2 million bags. Uh, Then we have uh, other departments or states like Antioquia. Antioquia is the second one, uh, largest producing department. And then we have uh, all the, the the traditional coffee areas uh, like uh, Armenia or Pereira, uh, Manizales that used to be uh, the traditional producers like 20 years ago. But as I as we mentioned before, uh, the coffee plantations in Colombia are changing uh, from regions. Those regions that we used to call the, the zona cafetera. Nowadays are more touristic places where basically you have farms uh, to stay with your family, but the coffee business basically it is less important than it used to be uh, 20 years ago. So you have, I mean, again, you have coffee here in Colombia from south to north. and we produce uh, in every single, basically, in every single uh, state, uh, again, from Cauca, Nariño. Nariño is very, mm-hmm. very fam- famous as well. Uh, Nariño was one of those uh, regions where Starbucks started buying like 20 years ago. And um, it's one of those regions with very, very good coffees um and to the north to the Sierra Nevada Sierra de Nevada that Santa Marta is in the north of the country mm-hmm. where basically we are producing um coffee uh, in a, in a, um, in a peak close to Santa Marta which is one of the of the Colombian ports.
0: Okay okay um, um and um so we've got a good idea of the harvest, the two different cycles. We've got a good idea of the production. Um, you, you mentioned that the, um, multinationals are very active in the country as well. And kind of the unique role that, uh, Integra, um, sort of fits in between, uh, Mm -hmm. here. And one of the, I'd say a lot of different coffee origins have like a coffee board, a coffee export board, or something like that, or a trade organization. But Colombia has one of the most famous uh, coffee uh, trade organizations, and um, or, or coffee, um, I guess. Well, maybe you can tell me what 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 exactly is the FNC, and uh, like what kind of an organization is it? What is the the role that it that it plays in Colombia?
1: Well, basically, if FNC, as you mentioned, is one of those very famous—I don't know—it's not a company; it's something in between, uh, because right. uh, basically the owners of the FNC are the Colombian coffee growers, hmm. where basically we have around 500,000 families, which are the owners of the FNC. But uh, but basically, FNC is a Colombian coffee exporter. Is the largest one by far. So is basically, it kind of like a co-op, I guess. It's a, it's a mix. It's not a cop. Uh, yeah. Basically, they use some cops to to buy the coffee from the farmers. Hmm. So they have cops all over the country where basically they use those cops to buy coffee from farmers. Okay. um So it's a, it's a mix. It's a kind of a cop, but at the same time, it's a. It's an institution in charge of ruling the coffee business for Colombia. So hmm. they are in charge of, uh, for instance, they, they invest in research. They have, um, they have part of uh, what they do. They have Semi Cafe, where basically they invest a lot of money in research. They invest a lot of money uh, supporting farmers. Uh, but at the same time, as I said, they are uh, coffee exporters. So basically, right. their view is that they have to be there to always to always um, give to the market uh, an option, or to give to the farmers an option to sell the coffee. Mm. So in those moments, or at least at least that's what they have in mind. It's that. When no one is buying coffee, they have to buy coffee. Mm. But as I as we mentioned here in Colombia, we have all the big multinationals, so always you have demand. Um, but coming back to the point of FNC, basically they have two different functions. One is being a coffee exporter. They okay. are the largest Colombian coffee exporter. They have about a today between 10 to 15% of the market uh it used to be mm-hmm. more uh they used to have 20 30% of the market some years ago today we they have around 10 to 15% of the market uh, and again uh, they have as well the function of giving support to farmers uh research uh that kind of things that basically mm-hmm. I don't know what can be similar in any other country, yeah, sort but, of an, um, sort of an
0: NGO or like a yeah, so they, yeah. So they they're owned by the farmers. they form a, an export function. they're kind of an export company um and they sort of reinvest back in in the general coffee community. And it's interesting because I guess they also kind of control the brand of Colombian coffee in general, right? Actually, you need to get permissions from FNC.
1: For instance, if you're a roaster in the United States and you want mm. to use the Juan Valdez logo, I mean, you need to go to FNC, get their permission to start using the brand. As I said, they, basically, they rule the entire coffee business uh, here in Colombia. As mm. I mentioned as well, they control the quality at the port. For some qualities, when we are exporters, uh, we private exporters we are selling coffee to any roaster in the states. We have FNC in the middle checking the quality, uh, basically uh, approving that the quality we are exporting it's according to the Colombian standards. So it's, it's been a fight for a lot of years. Uh, mm-hmm. so we exporters we would prefer to have a direct relationship with our customers and not having FNC in the middle, but at some point, um, honestly, sometimes it helps having FNC in the middle because it's a, it's like a surveyor. I mean, it's a a third party telling uh, our customer that the coffee was good or or was bad. So
0: yeah, it's almost like a certification in a way. Exactly.
1: So it depends on the point of view. Some, uh, some exporters, they don't like having FNC in the middle. Some others they like. Hmm.
0: And um oh, it's interesting. Um and uh um yeah, I kind of lost my train of thought there, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, because the the Colombian the the FNC has been uh, I know it's played such a, a big role, but I guess it's kind of um it has sort of a hybrid functionality between being exactly. a private company and sort of a governmental entity. It's a little bit harder for for outsiders to to understand. Um,
1: exactly, something but, like that.
0: Yeah, but um, anyway. Well, thank you for that. And uh, I guess one thing that has been uh, of concern to everybody in Colombia, or at least the exporters, um, over the last few years, that we talked briefly about the other day, as um, you mentioned, how uh, the high prices, ironically, created some problems for, for Colombia. Right. Can you talk about uh, how that happened, The, the how the, the high prices of the Brazil frost impacted Colombia?
1: Well, basically, as I'd say, most of our producing countries in, in this industry, after the frost, basically two years ago, uh, internal prices basically went from uh, whatever the price it was to basically double the price. Right. So by that time, uh, most of the Colombian coffee exporters, uh, multinationals, C, they had or we had contracts with farmers for coffee to be delivered during the next two crops. Basically, mm. for the 2022 crop, for the 2023 Mitaka, for the 2022 Mitaka. And uh, what happened uh, was that uh, basically everyone had to face default from farmers. Obviously, mm. depending on your size, your problem was bigger or it was smaller. Right. So it was a it was a big problem for the entire market uh, for all exporters. As I probably mentioned to you first time, we talked about this. Every single Colombian exporter had to face a default. Went back to bags, mm. hundred thousand bags, whatever. But um, it was a problem. Uh, today, I'd say some of the companies they decided to take the heat and to took a, They took their losses uh, last crop or two years ago. And some others, they are still trying to deal with those contracts. They still mm-hmm. have open and basically crossing their fingers for farmers to consider to deliver that coffee. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if they're going to deliver. It's, uh, honestly, it was really hard. Uh, a farmer delivering a coffee that it was... Basically, at fifty percent of the current price, for right. me, that's a coffee that probably they won't deliver. But some companies are trying to deal with uh with the, deal with the contract, and they still have opened those contracts. But it was a it was a big problem. Uh, today, I'd say uh, the problem is solved, as I as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Some already took the hit; others, in a small proportion, they have. They are still trying to deal with those contracts.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, in my time in the trade, when I was trading physical coffee, it was one thing I noticed that I was like, it seems very one-sided. It's like we have all of these forward contracts with uh, sales, but we don't have the same kind of forward contracts with purchases, right? Uh, At least in origin. Um, Mm -hmm. And the feeling of the traders was always that not that you can't trust the farmer exactly it's that they're you know you're putting the farmer in a bad position if you buy a lot of coffee from them forward and then prices go up
1: mm-hmm. because
0: then uh then the farmer is then faced with a dilemma right <laughs> uh exactly so it's yeah. a it's a it's, it's it's a difficult position especially if the farmer is not you know and i think Colombia is mostly small farmers are they not they're
1: exactly most of the colombian farmers are small farmers in average colombian farmer has one hectare one hectare and a half mm. so we are talking about very very small farmers and for those medium-sized big-sized farmers i mean for me it's a chain uh, they don't learn to use those tools that sometimes the market can provide to them i mean if, if they learn how to use those tools. I mean, okay, if they if they sold the last crop at uh, 50, using the tool, they can sell the next crop at 100 or 200, even right. if the market continues going uh, higher. So it's a matter to learn how to use the, the, those tools. But for me, it is a shame that uh, some farmers, mm-hmm. at least the medium sized and big farmers here in Colombia, they don't learn how to use those tools. And today, basically, I mean, no one is buying uh, coffee for the next crop, even though we're having the uh, still good prices after the New York correction,
2: Mm. because
1: of the exchange rate and the differentials, we are still having good prices. But no one is buying coffee for being delivered in October. Uh, So basically today, the the selling pace and the hedging pace here in Colombia, it's it's at the same time. Once you start harvesting, once that coffee starts arriving to the warehouses and to the mills here in Colombia, it's a it's a, the time when you start basically feeling the, the hedging pressure uh, yeah. in New York. Uh, again, some years ago, FNC and um, some of the big guys, they were buying coffee in advance, one or two crops in advance. Today, no one.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And I think that's a kind of a feature of... Uh washed arabica origins is is one thing i noticed at least is um when i was trying to when i was working at the hedge fund i was trying to model the impact of hedging on the on the futures market like you mentioned and it was it was much easier in the washed arabica origins because the farmer can't sit on the coffee right as soon Mm -hmm. as it's harvested they have to sell it they have to sell that day exactly um so we can see that um that pressure immediately in the market if there's a big crop we see more hedging pressure uh and then brazil always is the <laughs> is the difficult one because yeah, it's a natural so you can mm-hmm. you can kind of they can wait on that um so we don't know exactly when their hedging pressure is going to come in but um i did want to switch gears a little bit here to your experience um working with all of these different companies mm-hmm. working in your own company um, you mentioned several great traders that you worked for in the past, um, and now uh, you're one of the great traders in Colombia. Uh, and you also hire traders, right? You 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 train people, you bring on new people. So, in your experience, what have you learned on what are the the traits it takes to be a good trader, right? So, not just uh, so I'm talking like character traits, like what is it that people uh, that you look for when you're hiring someone, or what is it that you see in successful traders?
1: Well, actually, it depends on uh, what part of the business uh, that trader is going to be with, or is going to be working with.
0: Mm.
1: But in general, what I'd say is that our business, is still a business, where the relationship with your colleagues is very important. That for me one of the things that uh, I always try to look for when I was hiring a trader is a uh, social um, how can I say that um, social skill yeah uh, that's very important for me and obviously all related with numbers uh, if you have, if you able to 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 process numbers faster, and you have the ability of, uh, of, uh, because at the end when you're you're a trader, you have to deal with positions and numbers, and uh, and all the time you're related with numbers. Obviously having uh, numbers skills is very important. So for me, those are the most important things or uh, when when I'm trying to to hire a trader, basically Mm. having social skills, Mm Because coffee is still a business where you have a close relationship and different chat with your colleagues and customers and everything. Mm-hmm. And obviously, uh, having a number of skills um, it helps uh, definitely when you're trying to to get your numbers, deal with your positions, uh, even if when you're dealing with a physical business. Uh, in some you know, in some uh, origins, probably more than Colombia. Coffees are blends. So our right. blends of ages, are blends of prices, are uh, blends of everything. So for me, coffee, it's uh, all the time you're related with numbers and all you do, most of your time, it's uh, basically related with numbers. So mm-hmm. for me, those are the most important things when you're hiring a trader. At least for me, it's a social skills uh, and it's a number skills.
0: Yeah, that's very cool. I um, I always ask traders that question, and that's um, it's. I think that's the first time I've heard anybody say social skills, but it makes a lot of sense um, when you explain it. And I, I I have to say I agree with it. I always say to people that you know. I think you and I both know, and and anybody in the coffee business knows when you say I'm a coffee person, right? You know, or mm-hmm. that's a that's a coffee guy or a coffee girl, right? Like, you know, we we're sort of a community uh, of right. people who are all very into coffee, and um, it's it's very much about the people, and uh, and I and I think you know when when we talk about trading. I often think about integrity as one of those characteristics because of what you Agreed. we talked about with you know trust and how when you put mm-hmm. on business uh, with Definitely. a client, you have to have that that trust and I think that comes back to the social skills like you're saying. People have to want to work with you.
1: Right? Exactly. Uh, you I mean, you need the capacity to to talk to. I mean, in that sense, uh, to talk to very sophisticated traders. Seated in New York, and you need to have the, at least for origin, you need to have the capacity to talk to a farmer in a Vitalito mm. villa. I mean, for me, that's a, a social skill. It's, yeah. I mean, it's not the same talking to a farmer uh, in the sense, uh, I mean, the, the approach has to be different, different to a very professional or sophisticated trader mm. seated in New York. Um, for me, that's part of the social skills, and, and as you said, integrity. It's a it's a business where you need uh, people with integrity uh, because basically you're you trusting on those traders, your contracts to be fulfilled, right. uh, prices, uh, everything. So you need a very professional people as well in that sense.
0: Yeah. And you also mentioned something interesting, too, that I thought was 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 quite insightful, um, which is uh, when you first said social skills, I thought, oh, he means to talk with customers. And I guess that is important, too. But you also said something interesting, which is with colleagues. Right. You need someone that you want to work with (laughs) uh, if you're going to hire them. Uh, You don't want to hire someone who's uh, no fun to be around or uh, is not easy to talk to. Right. Um, And I guess that goes back to the part of building a team.
1: And, and, and working with the big companies, with those uh, multinational companies nowadays, uh, everything is a consensus. I mean, you're talking to your colleagues, uh, you're taking the uh, decisions with your colleagues. Probably when I started uh, 20 years ago, by that time, the, the country manager of each country had the capacity to take their own decisions. Today, my perception is that all the big companies, basically, they have committees or they have a group groups where they take the decisions. So coming back to the social skills, I mean, you need to have the skill to communicate to your colleagues your ideas, uh, right. convince your colleagues to execute your ideas when you have those brainstormings. Um, it's a matter of having social skills as well in the sense that, you need to interact with a lot of people again: farmers, police, customers, and something very, very important is uh, your capacity to communicate and defend your ideas. So for me, that's important mm. for for a trader.
0: Yeah, that's. I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's. there's no point in having a great idea if you if you can't convince anybody to take it right (laughs)
1: exactly i mean you can be very very smart having the best best idea but if you cannot communicate that idea and convince others it's not the same
0: exactly yeah that's that's a great answer um now we I have I am sorry if I'm going a little bit over time here. Um no, nice, I have okay. three more questions here if we could hopefully we can get through these um and still uh, get you off in time for your lunch. Uh all right. So nice. okay. uh one of the big things that people are very interested in concerned about in Colombia lately is is the weather, right? Um mm-hmm. it seems like it's just been disastrous for the last couple of years and it's it's one of those insidious things that's not like a frost where it just happens and then there's a problem but it's just been persistent right it's been Mm -hmm. two years of uh of excessive wetness and can you talk about what can you give us a a little overview of the problem and what the what the impact is in in colombia
1: well basically what is happening now in colombia is uh we've been facing la niña for two consecutive years uh starting the third consecutive year Having La Niña. La Niña for Colombia means mm-hmm. rain. So we have had excessive rains all over the country for the last basically two years and a half. Uh, and basically our production as a country came down from 14 million bags, 14 and a half to 11 million bags last year. So we're having problems in terms of production, but at the same time, those excessive rains, basically, they have caused problems uh, sending coffee from the farms to the warehouses. Mm. So logistics problems as well. So that has been the big problem for Colombia during, as I said during the last uh, two years. And hopefully everything is changing and improving and uh, according to the expert guys. After March, uh, things are going to start getting better. Mm. So, again, uh, we came from uh, since basically 2015, Colombia was producing uh, around 40 million bags up to 2020, right. uh, producing around 40 million bags. And during the last two years, two crops, we came down to 11. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, we're going to start recovering. The trees are there we still have the capacity to produce those 40 million bags. But obviously, we will need some good weather conditions to start recovering that production that basically Mm -hmm. we've been losing during the last two crops. Uh, My view is that probably next crop uh, in in October, it's going to be better compared to the last one. Mm -hmm. And uh, in a year, two years, probably we can be back to those uh 14 million bags that we were producing in 2020.
0: Okay, good. Because that's and that's also that's had a big impact on differentials as well, right?
1: Exactly.
0: Now I um normally we think of wet weather as being good for the coffee plant. So what what happened to I mean, obviously it's gotta be within a certain range, but um one One theory I'd heard was that it was more about the sunlight than the the weather exactly it's
1: the, a, the it's a it's a rain cloudy day uh, the light uh, uh, has a big impact on the in the cherry development hmm. so it's a mix of everything, not only rain, it's a lack of light uh, and everything it's causing problems for for the farmers
0: right. Um, okay, and um, hopefully, we're going to see that improve. Uh, so maybe we'll see a small improvement next year. Um, so I think you you gave us some numbers already, you said, um, you think maybe 11 million bags uh, for the current crop. Um, and then where do you see that? Where would you if if the weather forecasts hold as we see them now? And I know it's very early, but just what's a ballpark figure? What do you think is going to happen next year?
1: I mean, for me, it's a, it's a, if uh, weather conditions are good next year, we can be back to 12, 12 million and a half, hmm. probably. It's a, yeah. Again, I'm, I'm not an expert. Uh, my view is more based on a consensus from the chat I have with some farmers, with right. some colleagues. Uh, but for me, next year, we may be back to 12, 20 and a half, perhaps 13 million bags, hmm. if the weather conditions are going to be good uh, for the main crop and for the next mitaka uh, 2024 mitaka
0: yeah uh, i hope so i think and that does sound like reasonable experts i mean um uh expectations really reasonable forecasts um so i want to conclude with a sort of a two-part question here um Normally, I ask, "What's your 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 coffee market crystal ball, right? If you could look into a crystal ball and forecast the future, what do you think is going to happen for the the arabica market for for KC uh, the futures?" But I also wanted to ask you about differentials because that's something maybe that you also have, uh, you know, an intimate knowledge on. Um, how do you see differentials playing out over the next six months, and um, and and also how do you see the futures market playing out?
1: Well, in terms of differentials, uh, something that um, it's happening now and it's a reality. And it's a, our, basically our Brazilian differentials. Hmm. Those are the leaders of the market. And basically, we have today Brazilian differentials at the levels where basically, I don't remember having seen those levels before. um uh, uh, yeah at least something close. So for me, uh, differentials uh, are gonna be stable. uh, As long as Brazilian differentials are that high, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't see differentials breaking for Colombians or for any other uh, Arabica. I mean, we need to start seeing some signals of, uh, of good availability. So, and those signals usually basically are shown through the differentials. But today, for me, uh, what I see today, is a strong differentials. Having Brazil with a strong differentials, I don't know. That for me, it's a big question if we are seeing just farmers holding coffee mm-hmm. uh, with no new flow in the internal market, and that's why they are still having those. High differentials for the nearby shipments. Right. We already are seeing weaker differentials for the new crop, uh, for some from some uh, Brazilian exporters. Mm-hmm. But until we don't get more signals in the market that the flow is improving, uh, wider spreads in New York, uh, that kind of thing, uh, bigger shipments out of Brazil, Colombia. I mean I need we need to see more more coffee availability to perhaps start seeing differential break hmm. They are going to break that's for sure. Right. Uh the big question is when.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I I I'm it's kind of an it's a, it's an interesting answer um because I'm I'm a little bit surprised that Colombia would be so influenced by Brazilian differentials because I mean there's such a it's obviously such a different coffee um mm-hmm. But I guess you, 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 the customers are just they're looking at um, both coffees, and so I guess they. I don't know how, how, the, why. Why do you think the Brazilian different at
1: the end uh, customers and roasters? There, there are smart people taking decisions, uh, and mm-hmm. probably, and it happened uh, probably ten years ago or fifteen years ago when Colombian differentials went from plus ten to plus hundred. Right. I uh, was during the Royal. Yeah. Exactly. The roasters they will learn how to replace Colombians with Honduras with Peru's. Then we, mm. but that time Honduras and Peru went to 50, 60. Then the roasters they will learn how to use semi wash or naturals. So. And for me, it's happening again today. Uh, If you recall, uh, six months ago, Colombia was trading, Colombia differentials were around plus 80. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in less than two, three months, we went from plus 80 to plus 50. Mm -hmm. My view is that, uh, I mean, having the market over $2, having differentials at 80 or 75, that was expensive coffee and roasters, they know how to blend coffee and they know yeah. how to replace Colombia with Honduras. Uh, and for me, that happened last crop. Uh, and having Brazil at these levels for me is that the roasters probably, they replace some Honduras or some Perus uh, with some uh, Brazilian, some natural, some semi-wash, uh, Debbie man. Brazil perhaps was a, a cheap coffee in terms of, of, of quality compared to Peru's or Honduras or any other or, other origin. Mm-hmm. So roasters, there is more people taking decisions and they already know how to replace some quality with them. So for me, that's one of the reasons of, ha- of having Brazil probably at this level. I can hear you. You're
0: mute. Uh, sorry. Yeah, I said it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and if we're not seeing um, Colombian uh, production increase until at least next year, then I guess there's no reason in the short term that, that those differentials should really come off. Uh, when, to your point, uh, all of the replacements are are high as well. Right. And mm-hmm. though you're not going to replace a Colombian, a wash Colombian with a Brazil natural. Exactly. There's sort of a chain. Right. Maybe you replace some uh, some old crop Hondos with some Brazil naturals and then exactly. those move into new crop Hondos, which push into the other origins. And, and that affects the overall demand, I guess. So exactly. that makes exactly. a lot of sense. Um, all right. So to finish up, do you have a view on the sea market here? Uh, what's your what, how do you think that's going to play out over the next six months?
1: I mean, as as I mentioned, we need more signals. I mean, at least in my in my case to to start being a little bit more bearish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need more signals in the market. I mean more more availability. And again, that's yeah. shown through the through the spreads, we need to have we need to have a wider spread and marketing carry. Yeah. Uh, had higher achievements out of Brazil, higher achievements out of Colombia. Uh, obviously, uh, the Robusta market, something that is there as well. So we need to to have a higher achievements out of Vietnam uh, for me to, to start having a more bearish view. As long yeah. as uh, we, we have the current structure in the market uh for me it's, uh, it's really hard to to be bearish probably i'd say the market's going to be between around 170 uh, at least for this year but if we are talking a market going below 150 uh, for me at least we need a uh, more signals and more availability uh to to change my mind
0: I, I like that view a lot I think that makes a lot of sense you know I um I appreciate that um I you know we 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 have our our friend Hank and he used to always say uh half pregnant He said market's half pregnant right and normally uh <laughs> Exactly. we think of 160 uh, or 170, uh, he would say that's half pregnant, right? Because it's not, it doesn't feel it like is. a stable number where the market likes yeah. to go to $2 and above or down to 140 and below. It exactly. doesn't like to be at 160, but it's not super bullish, right? It's not like, Oh, everything's going wrong and there's no frost. There's no reason to go to $3 exactly. again, but it's not really bearish either. And and to your point about the the calendar spreads, if, if, the, if we're not at full carry, we're not going to see all those spec shorts come in and everything. So um, exactly. I think that you, makes a lot of sense. So thank you for that and, and for, for stating it so eloquently. Um. So that's all I have. I wanted to just thank you for your time. Uh, you've been very generous with your time. Uh, it was a, a pleasure, as always, to, to chat mm-hmm. with you and, and learn more about your, you and your business. Uh, so thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate it. Thank you, Ryan. No, no, thank you very much for having me again.
1: It was uh, it was an, an honor and it was a pleasure.
0: Well, thank you so much, and uh, I, I look forward to uh, doing this again. We'll we'll have to have an informal talk again. So, thank you for joining our Coffee Trading Academy podcast. Check out the website and subscribe to receive our free and premium coffee market reports. That's www.coffeetradingacademy.com. Again. Coffee Trading Academy.com. Good luck with your trading, everyone. This is Ryan Delaney, your Coffee Price First Ninja here, signing off.